Welcome to House of Data, a show exploring how data is influencing decisions at the most ambitious companies in housing. I'm your host, Alex Bridgman. Together, we will dive into how housing market participants are ingesting, organizing, and making decisions using data and the competitive advantages that follow. I am the Director of Data Strategy at Altos Research, owned by HW Media, and we supply some of the most dynamic companies in housing with unique intelligence across every housing market nationwide. You can learn more about Altus Research and this podcast by going to altusresearch.com or by sending me an email at alex at hwmedia.com. My guest today is Darren Blomquist. Darren is the VP of Market Economics at Auction.com and has been a guest on two of our other podcasts, Top of Mind and Housing News, where he's talked extensively about trends he's seeing in housing markets. In this episode, we turn inward and discuss his work with data at Auction.com and its influence on executive decision-making. We also talk about confirmation bias and how to fight it, how to tell a story with data and connect it to other more qualitative data, and trends he's seeing in how organizations are using data to make better decisions. Enjoy the episode. We're actually recording the first House of Data episode, even though I promised Zach Ronstant that he'd get the first published episode. So we're going to do like a little little flip-flop back and forth. Uh, but you'll be number two, which is... <laughs> So I'm actually the first recorded episode. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That's awesome. I'm honored. Yeah, very exciting. I'd love to dive into the role you have at auction and kind of a slice of your career so far and then like where data has come into your career, especially at auction, but perhaps broadly too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll start back since you asked such a broad question, I'll start back at the beginning. I mean, I was trained as a journalist. That's what I went for, to school for. But I always was interested in data. Um, and, you know, I remember there were classes journal- in journalism school devoted to interpreting data. I remember one book in particular called How a Mathematician Reads a Newspaper. That was back when people actually read newspapers. And so um, I always had that that kind of dual interest in, you know, I think the journalism a- aspect of it is is important for what I'm doing now, to be honest and what I've done in my career. But that whole data and math (laughs) and numbers and statistics piece of it was always of interest to me. Um, But I moved to California from Illinois back in 2001, and I I got this, to be honest, temp job at a company called RealtyTrack, which was a startup of about uh, five people at the time. And that company uh, had... What, what they were trying to do uh, was to democratize foreclosure data specifically. Foreclosure, if someone wanted to buy a property at foreclosure auction, they would have had to go to the newspaper or go to the local um, attorney that was posting that information and, and collect it themselves. What RealtyTrack was trying to do is, is take that information and put it online, which was revolutionary kind of at the time back in 2001. And as a result, the company grew by leaps and bounds over the next few years and became a big uh, purveyor of foreclosure data. And then we started, uh, because of my ba- background partially in journalism, we started publishing a foreclosure report uh, on foreclosure data because we realized that nobody was talking about foreclosure data. I mean, there was a lot of on an aggregate national basis. Um, There was lots of other real estate data out there, folks talking about home sales, home prices, um, 
and all of that, but nothing, there's no national source, even government source of foreclosure data. So we started publishing that about 2005. And then the, uh, you know, the great financial crisis hit, uh, the recession hit in 2008. And actually, even before that, in 2007, we started to see the foreclosure numbers spike and we were reporting on it. And we actually got a lot of flack because we were a startup company, didn't have a lot of history in the, the real estate space, which, as you know, even now is still pretty um, pretty hard. There's a lot of barriers of entry and, and pretty entrenched. And it was even more so back at the time. So we got a lot of pushback, like, you, you're exaggerating the numbers. These foreclosures are not that big of a deal. You know, and we you hear some of the things you maybe hear today, too. But, um, oh, it's OK. You know, the there's a lot of equity in homes. Uh, there's not, there's not going to be a lot of foreclosures, but as far as we could tell, the numbers were all accurate and, uh, we didn't always do everything perfectly, but we were seeing a big jump in foreclosures in 2007. And then the, it turned out we were for the most part, correct. And, uh, foreclosures were spiking and there was a symptom of a bigger problem in the market. And so that's kind of how I got into this and eventually realty track, um, about 10 years later, turn into Adam Data Solutions, which rather than just make the data available on a you know, B2C process or B2C uh, business model on the, on the web, we, we transitioned into a B2B company that was licensing not just the foreclosure data, but at that point we'd acquired a, a lot of other real, public real estate data. And that's that's kind of where I, I got into the whole real estate data uh, market and and then uh, was there at Adam until about 2000, let's see, 2018, and then transitioned over here to auction.com where I, got, I get to work with a lot of that same public record real estate data. But what's really fascinating about auction.com is we are an actual transaction marketplace uh, where there are basically there's real-time data showing what buyers and sellers are thinking about real estate and bidding on real estate and asking for real estate in an auction environment, which is really fascinating. So some of that data I get to work with now is, is pretty cool. But that's a hopefully short enough version <laughs> to kind of uh, explain my background. Yeah, certainly. What did your experience at Realty Track reporting those higher foreclosure numbers, what did that teach you about telling the story behind whatever data you're looking at is telling you? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, we didn't necessarily know, even know what story to tell at that point. We were just looking at the numbers and seeing these, inc- these incredible, crazy increases in, uh, in the numbers. And so we were just reporting these. And one of the things that we did do a lot that I, I think I learned from that is going out and talking to subject matter experts on the forefront of, um, of the market and seeing if they resonated with the numbers that we were seeing in the data. And that's, that's one of my favorite things to do now is, is I look at a lot of data, but it doesn't really tell a story until you can kind of almost corroborate it, um, and flesh it out with, with folks who are on the front lines of the market in whatever way. And so I think back then we would have probably talked to real estate agents who, um, especially those who are involved in the distressed market, who, who sold bank-owned properties, um, and then also real estate investors who are buying at the foreclosure auction, talk to them and say, hey, are you, you know, 
what are you seeing happening in the market? Um, and we did some of that, but that's one of the th- one of the things I wish we had done even better back then to to tell the story in a way that was that was even more credible than just spewing out numbers uh, into the marketplace. So, do you, do you think that the that corroboration with participants within the market that hey, this is the data we're seeing is this similar to what you're seeing or what you're paying attention to? Do you think that it sounds like that helps with convincing a third person that, Hey, this data is real. And here are some people who are seeing the same thing. Do you think that also helps your internal process when you look at the data and see, Oh, this is interesting. Is this real? Is this happening? Or, or is it more for the storytelling and less for the confirmation that this data is accurate? No, I would say it's absolutely both. It it flows both ways. The, there's that corroboration piece that says, yeah, this is, um, and, and and storytelling piece that says, here's what the data says. This person on the front lines is confirming that and also can add some color to maybe why that's happening or what the implications are of this, this happening. But then also sometimes we get feedback that says, you know, maybe the data is just reporting the data in a certain way is misleading in some way. And so we need to to shift our focus or shift our angle that we're looking at the data because of that feedback that we get uh, from the front lines. And um, so I think it, it flows both ways. It's, it's, uh, it's great to get that feedback. And sometimes even it flows before you see it in the data, you hear about it on the ground. And so you're hearing, oh, well, we think this is happening on the ground and you may not, we may not see it in the data yet. So we are looking for it. Um, not that you want to have that confirmation bias, but um, it allows us to, to have our heads up and looking for that uh, showing up in the data. Yeah. Bringing up confirmation bias. How do you look to counteract any possible confirmation bias as you're coming up with the story that this data that you're looking at is going to tell? You know, I think that is a huge challenge in the real estate industry is confirmation bias. And it's kind of a natural, it's hard to avoid. I think it's mostly acknowledging what your bias is and then also having different, you know, as someone who's maybe consuming the data, is making sure that you're not just going to one source, that you're having different sources who maybe have different confirmation biases. Um, So that's kind of a sidebar on someone who's kind of looking at the data, even from auction.com, of course, our confirmation, you know, our bias might be that, and and people have accused us of this, that, well, you want, it's good for your business if foreclosures are higher. And that may be true. Um, but so we have to, you know, I think the first step is to be aware of that, that yes, that may be a, be a bias is that if foreclosures are higher than, then we have more sales, we have more volume on our platform. Um, but although I would I would just say that certainly being, having been around here for about four years, that's not the focus. The focus is doing a good job with the volume that we have, uh, no matter what the volume is. Even during the the days of the foreclosure moratorium, when volume was very low, it's it's doing the best job of creating a transparent marketplace that does that is good for both buyers and sellers. So that's just my little soapbox there, but. I think acknowledging the confirmation bias that you may have, that you may want to see <laughs> foreclosures rise, for instance, or, you know, I think for us back in, the, you know, using that example of Realty Track, a lot of the confirmation bias we ran into was that 
you know, we, the the housing market is healthy, you know, and there's a lot of um, players, longtime players in the industry who want to sell homes. I mean, that's uh, that's their main objective. And so having a market that maybe is looking like it's going down or not doing so well is is bad. And so there's a lot of resistance to any bad news in the, the real estate market, because if you think about people who, you know, the brokers who sell real estate and mortgage brokers who originate loans, their business is predicated on um, more volume. And so a, a market that is looking bad or where home prices are going down or where foreclosures are rising on the flip side, kind of for, for, from where I'm sitting, the confirmation bias is, you know, we believe, oh, you know, real estate is going to go up. The, the mantra is real estate over the long term is always going to go up. Home prices are always going to go up over the long term. And I, I actually think that's true. But I think that a lot of folks in the industry go to that mantra a little bit too quickly in the face of data that may not not support that that mantra, at least in the short term. And so acknowledging it and then being open to, you know, and that's actually where the the stories come in and talking to people on the front lines who may have a different perspective or may who may not have the same confirmation bias as you. That's really important to at least be open to those different perspectives. How much help is it to also have multiple data points to triangulate a specific trend? Like if you're only seeing this one trend or story in one piece of data, but the rest of your data portfolio doesn't show that, what does that tell you about what's going on? Yeah, that, that's uh, that's also super important to have multiple sources of data um, or more, multiple perspectives and metrics that you're looking at in our marketplace. I mean, there are, it's also important not to get too confused with the facts, <laughs> if that makes, uh, that makes sense. Um, but you do want to have, you, you, you want to keep that confirmation bias at bay by um, verifying it through several different methods and also verifying it through time and not just saying one month's worth of data is all of a sudden a trend. Uh, we want to make sure this is a longer term trend to really, in, in many cases. And so uh, I was saying in our marketplace, we look at, there's a handful of metrics, but they they do need to corroborate with each other in order for us to say, yeah, this is really what's happening. Um, you know, for instance, we might, you know, we trying to think of a good example, but sales rate is a, a, a key metric for us. So the percentage of properties that go to auction that actually sell, that's a key metric. And that metric went crazy during uh, the pandemic, kind of like a lot of other things. It skyrocketed. Uh, and we saw historically in the five years before the pandemic, the sales rates were hovering around 40%. They're very consistent around 40%. During the pandemic, those skyrocketed up to 60%, which is unprecedented. So 60% of the properties that came to auction were selling. And, you know, there was uh, <laughs> there was a temptation for us to say, well, we're just doing such a good job as a company that we're creating this amazing sales rate. And I do think we were doing things to lift the sales rate. But one of the things that we did is we actually created a, a regression model to say, okay, what are all the factors going into the sales rate that could be impacting it, including, very importantly, more macro market factors 
that could be lifting the sales rate uh, beyond what we're just doing as a platform. And so that's an example of, of using different facets of data to make sure that what you're seeing in the trend, you really know where it's coming from. And so now with that regression model, we can say, we know uh, the levers that can be pulled to raise or lower that sales rate. And some of those factors are market factors. I mean, the the 30-year fixed rate mortgage is a is an important input factor for that sales rate. When that 30-year rate spiked last year in 2022, we saw that sales rate plummet um, very quickly in response. And so that was, you know, that was part of it. Uh, that it's important to to look at those to make sure that you're not either overinflating or underinflating what you're doing as a company. Um, and or un- overinflating or underinflating what the the market forces are doing to your metrics as a company. So, how much of your role do you view is telling the story of what's happening in the data and the markets to external parties or clients or folks using Auction.com on the platform versus your own internal executive team for decisions on hiring or investments or what have you. Yeah, I would say I have, you know, three main audiences. Well, let's say four main audiences. Uh, but, you know, I would I would put about a third of um, of that storytelling and data analysis is going toward uh, internal resources, um, internal decision making. Um, about a third is going toward our sellers who are the banks and the mortgage companies who are foreclosing on these properties and have, are having to make decisions about pricing these properties. That's the biggest decision they're making. Um, and about whether the, even to go with auction.com as opposed to just doing more of a generic auction. Uh, so I'd say a third, you know, two thirds is in that area. And then the last two p- audiences are more external audiences. And then also our buyers is an important audience, of course, too. And uh, those two together make up the last third of kind of my efforts in what I do here at auction.com is those, those buyers who are the real estate investors on the front, front lines of the market and then just external audiences out there. What, one thing I would note is what's become increasingly important, especially in the last couple of years, embedded in that what I call the seller audience, which are the banks and the mortgage uh, companies, I would also add in that audience is Policymakers, uh, government-sponsored enterprises, um, folks like HUD, who they're not directly servicing the loans in many cases, but they are making policies that impact how the loans are, service, are serviced and how the loans are disposed of when they when they default. And so that's a very important audience because, as you know, during the pandemic, um, there was a lot of policy intervention to make sure there wasn't this unnecessary huge wave of foreclosures. And I think that was a very good thing. Um, But as we're coming out of that, it's also important to tell the message that we want to tell and we think is true (laughs) about how how to adjust those policies and take the learnings from those policies from during the pandemic, but not necessarily stick with the exact policies that were enacted during the pandemic. Uh, that may sound vague, so if you want to dive into that more, that's fine. But that's uh, <laughs> that's that's a very important audience to to speak to right now in terms of um, distress disposition, which is what we do here at Auction.com. 
Yeah, maybe turning towards that audience, so policymakers, uh, lenders, um, do you get the sense that those audiences are over time, over the years, having a better understanding of data or are more more and more interested in relying on data and making decisions based on data? Or do you see it as flat down? How do you how do you feel like that's changed over time, that kind of attitude towards using data? I would say there's a divergent trend. I mean, as you know, in the world of politics, uh, things have become more fractured and, you know, more uh, at the level of uh, politics and politicians. Unfortunately, things have um, become more bifurcated and more, uh, you know, less nuanced. But I would say with the policymakers side of things, those are the folks, and you know, fortunately, a lot of times those are the folks who are really making the on the ground decisions and implementing maybe the policies that the politicians um, are advocating for. But I would say those policymaker folks who are the the you know maybe the career bureaucrats, which usually isn't a great sounding term, but those are the folks who actually are relying more on data. And and over the last twenty years, especially with the the great financial crisis being kind of overshadowing a lot of what we do even now today, those folks have increased are increasingly relying on data and they've learned a lot over successes and failures of of policies that impact the the foreclosure market, the distress market. Um, and so I think they're much more open to data maybe than they would have been even ten years ago in making policies. And, um, I think a great success story, a great example, if I could, you know, if I could go into that is there's, there's a push by politicians to, to get more, to, to avoid, uh, having these big hedge fund, real estate investors, institutional investors take advantage of basically foreclosures and, and scoop up lots of foreclosure properties and turn them into rentals. And we definitely saw that happen during in the wake of the Great Financial Recession, um, and so you know that's that. But that continues to be a desire, is even though foreclosure volume is extremely low right now, um, making sure that those those big institutional investors those are definitely cast as the villain in this market uh, in many ways by the politicians. But what we've seen with the policymakers when it gets down to the policy level. Yes, they still they still have that desire to get more hand, more more of these foreclosure properties into the hands of owner occupants, which is, I think you know most people can agree that's a good thing. Owner occupants, uh, home ownership rates increase with that, but they realize that a lot of these properties are also in such bad shape that you do need a real estate investor to to jump in and renovate that property before it goes to an owner occupant, and so. They're taking steps to increase the percentage of properties that are sold to owner occupants, and and to great success. A year, it's almost a year ago now, exactly that HUD implemented what's called a, a first look program for their properties, um, and Auction.com implemented that on our on our uh, website, where for the first thirty days, all HUD properties that are what's called CWCOT properties, properties that have been foreclosed and our, our bank owned for the first 30 days of the auction, 
that can only go to an owner-occupant buyer or a nonprofit buyer. And what we've seen is actually the vast majority of those buyers during that first look period turn out to be owner-occupants rather than nonprofits. And we just did a survey of our buyers back in March, and 15% of our buyers say they're owner-occupants, which may be, it may sound like a low number, but it's actually a very high number. A year ago, 7%, um, or excuse me, 8% of our buyers said they were owner-occupants. So that has almost doubled in a year when that policy has been in place. And yes, it's not some of the politicians would probably say, we want 100% of these properties going to owner-occupants. But the policymakers realize that that may not be a achievable goal or even a good goal to because you, you end up with owner-occupants buying properties that are in sh- such bad shape, they're not financeable. And so I, I'll, I'll <laughs> I get a, a little bit on a rant on this sort of thing, but I think that's a great success story of incremental change um, that is data-based. And yes, some of these properties can go directly to owner-occupants, and we've seen success there, um, but without trying to force all of these properties into you know, a round peg into a square hole or a square, square peg into a round hole type of situation um, that I think is, is positive for the overall industry. Yeah, when you look at these public or private organizations, maybe they're peers of yours or clients or you work with them extensively. For those organizations that use data really well and understand it, do you have you found or identified any common factors among those organizations that you think could be applicable to other organizations who want to become more data driven? Like I'm I'm sure you couldn't just go to your executive team today, drop a Bloomberg terminal in the middle of the table and just announce that we're data driven and it all works out. Like there must be, <laughs> there's, there must be other ingredients and other pieces to create a data driven organization. What, what have you seen that works? Yeah, I think um, I'll start with auction.com cause that's what I know the best. And then maybe that'll spur some other ideas. Cause I know, you know, we, we want to go outside of the auction.com world, but I think what, we certainly don't do everything perfectly when it comes to being data-driven, but um, the the great thing is that our success hinges on being data-driven, I think, and that's, you know, maybe that's something organizations can can almost force is say, hey, uh, if, if we're not data-driven, then we're not going to survive. Um, you know, and of course, maybe that's the chicken and egg thing because, you want to thrive, survive and thrive as an organization. That's, that should be your main goal. You don't want to be data-driven just for the sake of, you know, being able to say I'm data-driven. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it can be argued that being data-driven will, uh, will create um, a successful surviving and thriving organization. And so I think making sure that those dots are connected and showing that, when, when we are data-driven, we succeed. Uh, and, and for auction.com, it's, it, it's very clear for us because if we don't, you know, the more properties that we sell, the better we do. If we don't sell a property, then we're not getting paid. And so it's incumbent on us to know, like I was talking about earlier with the, the regression model, for instance, with the sales rate. If we know all the levers that go into... Uh, pulling that sales rate higher, then we succeed more as an organization. 
And of course, some of those levers are not things that we control. We don't control interest rates, for instance. Um, but there are some that we are we do control. And so when you're data-driven, when you can connect those dots and, sh- and show the things that you can control with data, um, that goes a long way, I think, toward to really making getting people in the organization to buy into, hey, I actually need to look at the data. I don't need... I shouldn't just go based on putting my, you know, my finger in the wind or what my gut instinct is. A lot of, you know, there are people who've been here for a long time whose gut instinct is off usually correct, but having the data to really show that is, is, um, I think invaluable, uh, and being able to parse out, especially the parts of whatever it is, you know, in your, that makes you succeed in your industry the parts that you control, and that's where being data driven can um, can really help. And I I think another important aspect is being um, is allowing debate, you know, on uh, on a topic, and not just having things come from the top down, but allowing anybody in the organization who has who has good data to make an argument that we should be doing something this way because the data is telling us to doing that, do that. And, um, so, so have, you know, have some kind of mechanism for people to, to bring, uh, their data driven argument to the table to advocate for doing something a certain way and not just having, you know, one person over everything, the CEO, whoever that might be saying, Oh, let's do it this way because I think it's the best way to do it. Yeah, so when for someone who is who looks at data and studies it and is trying to pull insights from it but maybe doesn't have a team reporting to them or doesn't have that same authority that of course a CEO might have what are some ways that that person could could help influence decisions beyond them even if there's not the same authority you might have to make those decisions. Kind of back to the storytelling piece we talked about earlier too. Yeah, I think that's that's key as is, is being able to tell a good story. And so I think, well, I mean, one thing is patience. I mean, you may present something and even have it be backed up by a lot of great data. And it's maybe not the right time um, to do it. And so having patience and, and persistence to bring that back to the table when it's appropriate uh, is, a, is a characteristic of, of someone who maybe doesn't have that authority, but... Um, has the passion and, and has the data available to them. Um, so uh, that would maybe be number one on the list. But when you are going about this, then gathering others in the organization, first of all, it's, it's almost like concentric circles. You, you find other people who you can align with in the organization who maybe don't align with you exactly on, on a certain topic, but um, are also seeing maybe some of the same things that you're seeing. Uh, and, and and so finding kind of growing a group of advocates within the organization and then going outside of the organization, uh, your next concentric circle out and finding subject matter experts who maybe you can bring in just, you know, even just if you say you're doing a presentation, even just quote them in the presentation. Um, and then it's the, the furthest concentric circle out it's, it's not that it's actually probably the most important is finding 
your customers um, and what they're saying about this topic um, and telling their stories. But I think it's probably important to get to help you confirm what you think the data is saying. It's good to have those internal advocates and then those external advocates. And then if those are both telling you, or at least the majority of them are, are telling you, yes, what you're seeing in the data is correct, then you can go to the customers. And, you know, and sometimes that can be hard. You want, of course, want to be careful that you're um, going through the right channels to talk to your customers if you're not in a customer-facing position. But I, have found, I find that's one of the most powerful things I can do is talk to our customers. Our, and in my case at auction.com, it's our buyers. It's the people who are buying our properties as well as our sellers. But um, our buyers are more of what, what I describe as a customer who, who is seeing what's happening. And um, if, you can, if you can go in that process, I think you can create a compelling argument. Now, there's also, of course, the risk that through that process, you'll find that you're wrong. <laughs> and what you thought you saw in the data is wrong. And so then you have to be willing to say, okay, I was wrong. I'm not going to continue to just stubbornly push this, but I am going to adhere to my own data-driven principles and, uh, and you know, turn my energy somewhere else. Where have you found data to be less helpful and not additive to a discussion decision or, or any other discussion you're having? You can have too much data. Um, I hate to say it, but you can have, uh, you, you can get to a point where people's eyes glaze over. And so you've got to have that mixture of giving enough data. And of course your audience matters as well. And so, you know, if you're depending on the audience you're talking to, you want to start with high level data and maybe priming them to ask questions to dive further. And so you always want to have that, <laughs> that underlying data to show them that what you're saying in this bullet point is correct. But um, I think that's, that's one area of risk is, well, being data-driven means that more data is better. That's, that's not always the case, at least initially when you are presenting someone with, with a thesis or an argument. And I, I do think that without the the stories um the data often falls flat and so the stories of of actually and actually just showing that you've talked to people um when you're making an, an argument is is important to 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 pair with the data and if you just have the data it may it may fall flat yeah when you talked about having other folks on your team get behind the data that you're talking about um it seems like the general trend with data tools and thinking of stuff like Tableau um, that make it easier to, as an as an individual without a large team of analysts, to create conclusions from data. It seems like it's becoming easier for more people on a given company to be able to understand and work with data. Um, have you seen that? the way companies approach organizing teams and people and their companies around data. Have you seen that shift from, you know, it, I don't know if you've seen it from, you know, maybe one person is the data expert, the data analyst, but now, you know, over time, more and more people within a company are using data and finding ways to draw insight from it. Like, just broadly, like how are you seeing organizations shift as data becomes perhaps easier to use? I think a lot of organizations would have, 
wanted to kind of guard their data in the past have become more open about sharing their data, even internally, I'm talking about, and finding ways for more people in the organization to access the data in an easy way where you don't have to necessarily run SQL queries or whatever to, to access the data. Um, I think, I mean, I think there's still a long way to go on that front. Um, but I do see organizations uh, opening up that way. And I, I think the ones that are successful are the ones that allow uh, as, as much as possible open access to the data. And there's not just um, a few gatekeepers who you have to go through to to access the data. And that's easier said than done a lot of times because um, the data can get messy and some of the data may be proprietary or be sensitive data that you don't don't want to share uh, too much internally um, for whatever, you know, maybe compliance or legal reasons even. But I, I do think that uh, to the extent you can build user interfaces internally for folks to access the data, we have something internally called, uh, we call it SMART, uh, that is basically uh, based on Power BI that allows folks to go in and pretty much anybody in the organization to go in and access a lot of the data, that's that's proven very valuable. Um, and I think that other organizations uh, are doing that as well. Um, but I, I do think in, as an industry, we still have a ways to, to go on that, um, on empowering employees with, uh, with as much data as, as possible. Uh, but there are, I mean, there are a lot of, an employee who has some initiative uh, will f- will often be able to find a way because of the tools out there that you're talking about, like Power BI, like uh, Tableau, to to do a lot of the data work, some of this data work themselves, the data analysis themselves, um, to you know to help them figure out what's going on for them in their corner of the world, but also have implications for the organization as a whole um, when they're doing that. What if I not asked you about data that I should have asked you or something about data you care about that we haven't touched on? Yeah, I think um, we've kind of touched on it, but I just to be more explicit about it, I mean, what I love about diving into data is finding that compelling and interesting story that that makes a difference, you know, for the business that you're in and maybe maybe makes a difference for the industry that you're in. you know, and that's to me the the payoff <laughs> is when you can dig into the data, not just to to just report numbers and trends and whatever, but to find okay, what's happening that uh, can make a difference. And I guess to make, give an example of that for you know me, one of the moments for that here at auction.com was finding that matching our data, our sales data with tax assessor data in the public records and finding that a surprising number of the properties that we sell end up as owner-occupied properties. Um, and, you know, and that our investors who buy on our, on our site, when they renovate and resell the properties, 72% of those properties end up in the hands of owner-occupants. So that's just an example. And that that makes a difference because because the assumption in the industry is that things are like they were back in 2008, 2009, 
where you have these institutional investors who are just gobbling up all the properties of foreclosure auction and then keeping the properties as rentals. And we, you know, the data told us that's no longer the true narrative of what's going on. And so that makes a difference uh, for us as a company. It makes a difference in the industry. So, so stuff like that uh, is finding that story that actually can make the, make a difference, move the needle, change people's perceptions, change change people's actions potentially as well. Yeah, certainly. I love that. Darren, thank you for coming on the House of Data podcast. Really appreciate you sharing more of your time. Thank you for, for chatting all things data. Um, looking forward to hopefully another episode in the future too. Yeah, thank you, Alex, for the opportunity. And um, I look forward to it hopefully in the future. Thank you for listening to House of Data. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review and introducing the show to a friend in data to help more folks discover the podcast. For more information about Altus Research and the podcast, check us out at altusresearch.com or send me an email at alex at hwmedia.com. At